it's my desire to live for Jesus. It's my desire to live for Him. Though often I fail and brought Him a shame, it's my desire hope it's your desire to live for him. Amen? That's good. All right, let me straighten a few things up down here. There we go. All right, let's take our Bibles today and uh, turn over to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. We're just going to look at a real basic scripture, uh, probably in a one that has been used a number of times, especially if you are uh, actively trying to reach people with the gospel. Ephesians chapter 2. We're just going to look at verses 8 and 9. Some of you may even be able to quote it. I don't know. 
It's a good one to learn, that's for sure. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 today. The Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Again, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you. I ask, Lord, that today you would bless this simple message. Lord, we're excited today as we'll have three young men getting baptized, and that's always exciting to have baptisms. Lord, we are looking forward to the Word of God and what it's going to do in our lives. But today there may be somebody here, Lord, that has yet to trust and receive the Lord Jesus, you. We ask that they would be saved. That they would yield their will to your will. Because we know you are not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We ask that, Lord, you'd be with every believer and may our hearts be stirred and may we be more convinced than ever that you are the answer. Bless us this morning, Father God. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you ever hope to make it in life, you need to have a basic understanding of mathematics. However, math can be somewhat complicated at times, can it? How many of you young people are taking math right now? How many of you doing that? It's fun, isn't it? Good times. Some of you like math, okay? And if you like math, you're very fortunate. Not too many people really enjoy mathematics, especially as you get further along in your studies. I mean, one plus one's not bad, right? But when you get to that calculus and that trigonometry and all of those things, it gets a little tricky. And it's a lot of work. I can tell you that there was a number of times in my life when I sweated a math exam. I mean, I was sweating bullets. I remember being in college at the University of Akron, and I was taking a trigonometry class. And I still remember throughout the year, I was really not a very good student, I'll be frank with you. I went back to college later after the military and did much better. But my first uh, year and a half of school, I spent a little bit too much time downstairs shooting pool and not enough time in the book studying. And I still remember that class, and the teacher would get up there and teach, and there's about 45 of us, 50 in that class, and the, the teacher would give us all the, the information we needed and tell us this is what's on the quizzes, this is what's on the exam and everything, even long before we took it. And I still remember going week after week after week after week, just doing enough just to get by. You know how that is. I mean, just to get by. I got to that... Uh, uh, midterm exam, and I mean to tell you, the the test was, uh, it was just on the horizon, it would be the next morning, and I started studying. Now, I hadn't done much studying up to that point, so I got to cramming. Anybody ever cram for a test in here? That's, you know, no pressure, right? I mean, we're talking about mathematics, and of course, trigonometry, you got to know algebra and all those other things, you got to build up to that trigonometry, and I mean to tell you, I was struggling with all of it, and I still remember spending the, the night trying to figure it all out, going through each of the sections and all the chapters, and trying to get a handle on it from A to B, and to C to D to E to F, and all the way across, Pythagorean theorem, and this theorem, and that theorem, and everything else, and I'm like, wow, this is overwhelming, I don't think I'm ever going to get it. 
Well, when you try to cram a semester or half a semester into one night study, it doesn't work well. Well, I had a brother that was a, a genius. At least that's what my grandma says. He was smart. I was stupid. Not really stupid. I just wasn't smart like him. You got to know my grandma, okay? It's okay, really. I, I'm still okay in spite of all of it. But the fact was, he was, he was a genius. I, I, think, I don't know what his IQ was, but it was off the charts. I mean, it was high. And I still remember, Ed, I, I grabbed him one, that morning before the test, and I, I, I said, listen, I need to talk to you. I got to meet with you. You got to help me with this test. So he said, all right, meet me at 7 o'clock in a classroom. And we met at 7 o'clock in the classroom. And there he got on the chalkboard. He said, all right, now, what do you need help with? Everything. He went, What? That's impossible, man. I mean, you've been in school for like eight or nine weeks now. That's ridiculous. I said, no, I'm not joking. Everything. So he started going through, and I was like, I know there's something about this theorem or something. And he said, oh, that's on page 99. And I'm like, what? He said, I took this class three years ago. He literally remembered the page things were on. And so here he is trying to teach me all this stuff. And I need to tell you, he was helping me cram. And he's like, all right, now, you got it all down here. Here, it's all on the block, chalkboard right here. All you have to remember is this. And if you can remember that, then you remember this. And if you remember that, you'll remember this. And then don't worry about it. Just do what we talked about. He walked out of that room, and I was like, what did we talk about? (laughs) And so he left, and I made my way to class to take the test. Mathematics. I'll let you know how it all turned out maybe at the end. But anyway, John chapter 3 verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know that God would have all men to come to a saving knowledge of him. And he wants everyone to know him. In 2 Peter, we already mentioned it in the prayer, but it says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness, but His long-suffering to us were not willing, not willing, not willing, not willing. Let me tell you something. As far as I'm concerned, that shoots Calvinism. You don't have to agree. I don't really care. But what I do know is that the Bible says anybody can be saved. He's not willing, and if He's not willing, then that means He's not willing that someone goes to hell either. If he's not willing that any should perish and go to hell, then that means he's not going to sit there and put certain people in and certain people out. He don't want anybody to go to hell. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So that means, obviously, I mean, to me, it just seems like when you think John 3.16, you think of 2 Peter 3.9 there, that means, means that things must be simple, not so complicated. It's not complicated. I mean, isn't it amazing to think that the creator God of all the universe wants me? He wants you. He wants us to turn to him and trust and receive him as our Savior and Lord. That's amazing. You know, rarely is the Christian life that complicated. It's pretty simple, really, when it's all said and done. God says it and we do it. But most of the time we like to throw all kinds of things in there to complicate it, don't we? What we're going to note this morning is that salvation is not mathematics. I don't know about you, but to me, mathematics can get a little complicated. But I'm telling you, salvation is extremely simple. Very, very simple. It's never complicated, or is it confusing? Never, never. It's always simple. It's always basic. 
And yet there will be multitudes upon multitudes that die and go to hell. And yet it is so simple. So I want to share a little message I've entitled The Eternal Equation. The Eternal Equation. See, it's not addition. You're not going to get to heaven through addition. And I know addition's not that complicated, even in mathematics, but if you talk to somebody just learning math and you start talking about two figures and then three-figure addition and all of that, it gets complicated for them at times. But it's not even addition. So you don't just add Christ to your already busy life and get saved. It's not how it works. Look, if you would, at Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. It doesn't matter what facet of life we talk about, everybody in the room is going to have an opinion about it. Doesn't matter. You talk about um, uh, it, it, whether it's a, 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 you know, a sports event, whether it's a, a, an orchestra playing. Everyone has, what, did you like that? No, I didn't like it. Why didn't you like it? Well, I didn't like it because of this. I liked it because of this. And everybody has opinions about everything. And when it comes to salvation, you know what? If we're not careful as human beings, we have opinions. We think we know. We, we got to figure it out. Well, uh, you know, maybe addition is the way we're going to get to heaven. I'm going to add Christ to my already busy schedule. I'm going to add Christ to my already busy life. If I just add him to my life, it'll be okay. Well, Exodus chapter 20, verse 3 through 5 says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. By the way, I want you to understand here, he's talking about idolatry. And then he used the phrase of them that hate me. It's funny how we are. We say, well, I don't hate God. I never hate God. I love God. He's wonderful. God's great. He's good. He's all that stuff. And yet in the passage, what we find is that he's, he's correlating those that hate him with those that place others or things above him. It's an amazing thing how God responds to us. He looks at us and says, now, what are you doing? And you say, yeah, but Lord, it's all about how I feel. He says, no, it isn't. It's about what you're doing. You're doing the right thing. I appreciate how you feel, and I think it's important that you feel good, and and I want you to be right in the sense of mentally, emotionally, and I get it, that sort of thing that will be judged for one day. But let me tell you something. When it's all said and done, don't beat your wife and say you're a good husband. Isn't it funny how we've come to the place today where everybody gets an excuse? Everybody gets a, 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 an out. Everybody gets a pass go. I'm going to tell you something. God's looking at us and saying, listen, you want to go ahead and put others? You want to put things above me? You want to place things as idols in your life? Let me tell you something. You know, when I see that, I think, do you hate me? You say, I don't hate God. I never hate God. And put him where he belongs. Anything, according to the passage, that we place before God becomes an idol. And you know, we live in a very convenient culture today. Everything's quick. I mean, it's found quick. It's right at our fingertips. We have fast food, rapid care, instant messaging. Everything is immediate. Everything is now today. 
We don't have to wait on anything and nothing. And, and I mean, nothing has to be inconvenient. Nothing has to be uncomfortable today. As a result, I believe that we've created a convenient God in our mind as well. You say, what do you mean? Well, first of all, he's not the God that the Bible describes. It's not the God that is written about in Scripture, no. But he fits the cultural expectations and societal norms, though. We create this God. He is not the God of the Bible that is in our minds and our hearts sometimes. It is the God that the culture has created. You say, what do you mean? Well, he's accepting to all. Do whatever you want, be whatever you want, and God just has to love you. And he has to accept you the way you are. Do you see that in the Bible? He'll love you no matter what, but he will not accept you the way you come. You don't come to him your way. You come to him his way. I mean, he's accepting of all. He's available to all. And he's forgiving of all. He's there when we need him. Well, or if if we need him, I guess. And he's like a heated blanket, you know. He simply waits for us to turn him on and use him. That's the God we've created in many cases. I mean, we can, uh, we can put him away in fair weather. We can take him out when things get uncomfortable. Either way, it's, it's fine with him. He's content to be at our beckoning call. I mean, this is the God that many have created in their minds today. And you start talking about a God, according to Exodus, who says, listen, he says right there in the passage, real clearly, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And and he says, listen, I'm going to visit, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generation that hate me. And you say, man, God, God loves everybody. And God's not going to do anything bad to anyone. God's not going to permit anything like that to happen. what, What Bible do you read? What God do you know? You've created a God in your mind. Well, he, you know what? I know I don't really do exactly what God wants me to. And I know that I'm living in sin. And I know that I've rejected the word of God. And I know all of those things. But God knows my heart. And God knows I really don't like doing this. It's just that I do do that. And I wish I could overcome this. But I just can't. If you only knew my circumstance and situation, you'd understand like God does. What God are you serving? Is it the God of the Bible or the one you just made up? Hey, it is not about addition, though, when it comes to this salvation thing. You don't just come to God. You don't come your way. You don't just add him to your life. You don't just make him a part of things. For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. Well, I'll tell you what, it's dangerous when you start creating a God in your own image. Because it's not only dangerous for you, it's dangerous for the next generation. And I think there's a lot of gods being created in the minds of people, even God's people. The God of the Bible cannot be known nor understood until we actually get in the Bible. And yet we spend so little time in the Word of God, how in the world do we expect to know who He is? It's so funny. If you want to know what your dad thinks, young men, go talk to him. Why don't you ask him some questions? Why don't you say, Dad, where do you stand on this issue? Why'd you get so upset the other day when I said this or did that? I want to understand where you're coming from. Instead of going, my dad's a jerk. I wish I had a better dad. 
I wish I had a dad like so-and-so's dad. He lets him say those things. He lets him go those places. He lets him do those things. Why don't you get to know your dad and maybe you'd understand how he feels and why he feels the way he does. You know what? It's like that with God. God doesn't do things exactly like we want him to do it and sometimes we look at God and we'll say the same thing about him as they just said about their daddies. We won't say it out loud because we know that's blasphemous. We'll say it in our heart. We don't really know him, though. We don't understand why he let that happen. We won't even ask him because we're just ticked off that he doesn't do things our way. You don't add Christ to your life. You don't make him just a piece or a part. He is the part. He is the piece. He is it. And let me illustrate that for a minute. Let me go ahead and get um, all of you fellows right there. There's four, five, seven of you right there. Why don't you all seven of you come on up? Just stop right there at the bottom of the step. David, can you help me too? All right, brother, come on up. Just you. Uh, David, you got to go down with Ferguson. <laughs> he's creating a God. No, he's, but anyway. <clears throat> so anyway, here we go. Watch this now. Hold that up just for a second. Hold it up high so everybody can see it. Turn that way so they can see it. That you love being up here, but isn't this wonderful? He's like hating it right now. But anyway, it represents marriage in our life. Now listen, I understand that marriage is of the Lord, and I get it. Marriage is a good thing if it's done God's way. I'm telling you, a wonderful thing. When a man and a woman come together and God brings them together and, 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 and there's a marriage, there's a relationship, there's a union there that God created, it's a wonderful thing. And then all of a sudden, if God blesses, then he starts adding children and everything. And, and, and listen, don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not minimizing. I believe it's a family right here already. Don't, don't go crazy on me, okay? So anyway, we've got a marriage, and then we've got this family now. Many times there's a number of children. And I'm just going to stop right there real quick. Do you know how many times parents have let children become gods? I just thought I'd throw that in. Marriage and family. Come on up, brother. You got work. I mean, if you're going to support your wife, you're going to support your children and family, you probably need a job. I think that's a good idea. Matter of fact, the Bible says if you don't, you, you, you know, in a sense, and I'll, I'll just, you know, if you're not willing to provide for your own, then you're worse than an infidel, he says. Look at this. So we got, we got marriage and we've got family. We've got work. Come on up, brother. We got entertainment. Let's face it. There's all kinds of things today. Let's list some things. What's some entertainment today? Anybody, uh, an idea of entertainment? What is it? Can somebody give me something? Yeah, in the back. Television. What else? Anybody? Television entertaining. What? What? Fishing. We don't even count that around here. It's boring, brother. We're not in the Midwest and we're not out. No, okay, fishing. Okay, so yeah, but, but that, we're going to get to that one in a second. That's really the next one, brother, but you're way ahead of schedule here. So anyway, entertainment. Maybe you're watching uh, Netflix or videos or television or you're, or you're maybe, I don't know, uh, all kinds. Of, anyway, let's move on. It always takes somebody to mess up the whole illustration. <laughs> all right, come on up, brother. And so, <laughs> so let's get to his real quick before we ruin it. Hobbies. All right, fishing. Okay, there we go. Fishing. Yeah, hunting. Uh, golf. I don't know, you know. Hobbies. I mean, we, 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 you know, I had people tell me years ago as a pastor, they said, now, preacher, what you need is a hobby. You need a hobby so that you can get a break from the ministry, so that you can get a break from all the stress. And I said, a hobby, huh? And I got thinking, what almost very few hobbies really don't cost money. And honestly, I didn't have a lot of money early on. 
So I made my children my hobby. I didn't have to spend money on them. I'd spend time with them. And I thought, if I got any extra time, if I got any time at all, I'll spend it with my kids, and whatever they want to do, we'll do. Well, within reason. So I made my kids my hobby. Come on up. But we get hobbies, don't we? And there's nothing wrong with hobbies. You like to golf? Great. Play sports? That's good. Anything. I don't care. And a basketball? It doesn't matter. Those are, there's nothing wrong with that. And then we got social media today. Come on, just kind of fill in over here. Doesn't, yeah, you don't have to. Social media. Man, with Facebook and, 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 and Twitter and whatever. Come on up, brother. You're next. I, I'm really not up on a lot of that stuff. Hey, then we got video games. Video games. Boy, video games today have literally just simply choked the life out of many teenagers. And may I say today, choke the life out of many adults. Boy, if you could sit across the desk... Uh, in my office, if you could be where I sit and hear about women who are upset and, and struggling and brokenhearted because their husbands want to play video games all night and will even disregard their own family. Break your heart. It's ridiculous. Come on up. Hey, how about this one? Education. Here we go, education. Hey, I'm going to tell you something. Education is a wonderful thing. But unfortunately in our lives, come on together, guys, all of you. We live our lives. Come on, just get around me here. Get around me. No, get around me, all the way around me. Come on, all the way around me. Yeah, there you go. Now face out. There you go. All right. We get our lives, and guess what? We got all these things going. Just yell yours out and go to the right. Family. Hey, come on, did I tell you to go anywhere? <laughs> hey, this time yell it out, all right, guys? The only one that yelled it out was right there. Family, go. entertainment, social media, hobby, work, education, video games, marriage. Hey, all of that stuff's going on in my life right now. Guess what? I'm consumed with it, aren't I? Now, here's the problem with addition. Stay right there. I'm going to go ahead now, and I'm going to add Christ to this mix. And I have the most, this is not really going to be a very good illustration at this point, but please bear with us. You know it's coming, brother, Larry. Come on up. At least he prayed for the offering. I know he prayed at least once today. Come on up, brother. And then we take Jesus. And watch this. Here's what happens. We add Jesus to the rest of this. Here it is. Hold on. We put Jesus Christ here. Here, Jesus, join the rest of these. Turn around, face out. There you go. Jesus, join the rest of my life. Jesus is a part of my life now. Isn't this wonderful? I've got family, and I've got hobbies, and I've got video games, and I've got Jesus, and I've got, I've got work, and I've got all this stuff. I added Jesus to my life. But that's not how it's supposed to work. Can I show you something? All of you guys now stand on the edges now. Go to the edge. You stay here. Here's how it's supposed to work. When I take Jesus, everything else, in a sense, moves away. Now watch this. Let me show you something. Here it is. Jesus Christ. It's just Jesus and me for each tomorrow. I just thought I'd throw that in. (laughs) Now watch this. Hey, I got a marriage, right? Hey, bring my marriage. Where's my marriage? Come on over here. 
I'm going to put you right there. No, not in front of Jesus. I'm going to put you right there. I'm going to, hey, watch, watch what I just did. I added my marriage to Jesus in me. See, the marriage is, is not, he's not, just, he's not just one of the things now. He is the thing. He's about it. He's everything. And in and, and my marriage, I'm going to add it. I'm going to put it in its proper place in my relationship. I'm not going to let it determine how I handle him. I'm going to let him determine how I handle it. Now watch, and then I say, hey, you know what? I, I, got, I got some kids here. Where's my family at? Come on over here. I'm going to put my family over here. Man, that's important too. Get off of him. Okay, so anyway, this guy here, he's trouble. Okay, so anyway, I got Jesus, and I, and I have, I've got, I just, the Lord led me to this person. I got married now, and I've incorporated and included her in my life. And now God's given us children and a wonderful family, and I've incorporated that in my life. But hold on, Jesus is still at the center of everything. Jesus is still the main one, and everything else gets put in its proper place. Then I go ahead and I say, you know, I need a job because I got to support these guys. So where's my work at? Hey, Mr. Work, why don't you come over here and step right back over here a second. Right there, that's good. And I'm putting work in there. And I know i got to work. And sometimes I have to work long hours. And I've got to meet need the needs of my family. But really, my greatest desire is to trust God with the need of my family. And I'm just going to work hard so that I can both support my family, but also support the work of God. I want to be able to do what God wants me to do. I want to be able to work like God wants me to work. I don't want this job to consume me. I don't want it to take control of me. I don't want it to overshadow Jesus Christ. He's number one. And everything else gets put in its proper place. Come on. I'm not, I'm not opposed to social media. If you want to use some social media. But you better put it in its proper place. Because this right here can consume your life. It can take charge of you. It will rule your life. You better put it in its right place. But what happens is if we're not careful, we add Jesus to our life. And we just make him equal to or part of everything else. And he can't be. He is it. He is all in all. He's number one. And everything else has to fit in its proper place. Even video games. Come on over here. Hey, listen. There's nothing inherently wrong about a video game. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you, if you use video games, you're the devil. No. that's Can the devil use video games to, to, to destroy a mind? Yes. He can also use... The marriage bed to do the same thing outside of it. I'm saying what God created, the devil will always try to corrupt. And God may, God may not have a real problem with us playing a little John Madden football. I don't know. But boy, let me tell you, you go ahead and put that above getting into church. You go ahead and get that above taking care of your marriage. You get that above taking care of your family. You get that above working and providing for your family. You get that in front of about anything. Let me tell you something, friend. You're wrong! You got the wrong balance in your life. And entertainment. There's nothing wrong with that. Come on over. I don't have a problem with that. I don't know how you feel about this, and I don't even know how I feel about it. But I had a coach come up to me this week in the football camp, and he said, Preacher, he said, You know what me and my wife have been doing now that we've gotten older? I said, Do I really want to know? <laughs> he said, You know what? It's crazy, and you're going to think I'm a nut. Here we are at man camp. We've been watching those Hallmark shows. And I said, you mean the beautiful people? He said, yeah, I know it sounds weird. I said, well, to most people it sounds weird. I like a good little women every year. You know, I like Anna Green Gables. I'm good with that. 
I love those kind of crazy shows. These guys never understand when I talk to them about that. Some of the single ladies, they know because we sat around talking one day about it. But anyway, it's because I'm, I'm the singles. Me and my wife take care of the singles. It's not, don't misunderstand what I just said. So anyway, we got entertainment going on here. And there's nothing wrong with entertainment. And entertainment can be a number of things. It could be even going to a sporting event or something like that. That's fine. It, is, it, it belongs. It, it, it's not necessarily wrong in your life. It's okay if it's in its proper place. But you're adding it to your life and putting it in the right place. You're not allowing it to be equal with Jesus. Hold on, I'm sorry. Jesus Christ, he's number one, and you're adding everything else into your life, and you're ensuring that he never loses priority or preeminence in your life. Nothing and no one's going to take his place. You don't just add Jesus to your life. Come on over here, hobbies. Nothing wrong with hobbies. Come on over here, education. Man, I'm telling you, some of you do well to get a little more education. They claim that if you, the better your education, the better your, 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 your uh, uh, pay is ultimately. Your ability to make money in life. Now listen, I, I know this may not sound right to you. You may think somehow that my real goal in you making a lot of money is so you can provide better for your family. But I'm going to be honest with you. I wish we had a bunch of millionaires in here because you really don't need a million dollars to live on. You know what you ought to be doing? Putting money in missions. You ought to be putting money in the church. You ought to be taking care of things. God doesn't give you a bunch so that you can consume it upon your lusts. He gives those things to us so that we can use it for his kingdom's sake. Because one day in heaven, guess what? It ain't going to matter how big your house was that you lived in on earth. All that's going to matter is the the mansion you're in. All that's going to matter is the Jesus you serve. All that's going to matter is the work you put in for Christ. And those are where the rewards will come. And I get it. You've got to have a good spirit and a good attitude because it will be what sort it is as well. But let me tell you something. Too many times we want to make money so that we can be comfortable. And that is the wrong reason to make good money. But I'm going to tell you something. There shouldn't be a Christian young man in this room that doesn't want to be able to support his family and his ministry and church as best he can. Get an education. Make as much as you can without sacrificing him. He's got to be number one. He's got to be number one. Thanks, fellas. You can be seated. Thanks. Just set these right on top here. Thank you. Everybody did good but Jesus. Because he, he just couldn't pull it off. <laughs> no, lady, you did a great job. Good job, fellas. Thanks. Now, listen. We're talking about adding. Now, we're, we're almost out of time, and I'm just in the first point. And that's Okay. Because I think that this point, I think that what we just talked about today is important, not just for the, for the lost, it's important for the believer, man. I mean, let's be honest today. I, I wish right now, I, I, I do, I have a fence right here. I got a fence. We are straddling the fence. Whoa. I'm not joking, and I know this is weird, because if I fall and kill myself, one of these guys will be very happy. <clears throat> but the fact is, is that we're on, you know, we are straddling the fence today, many of us. Yep. And God's saying, hey, well, are you going to put me first in your life? Are you going to let me have preeminence in your life? Are you going to get on this side or this side? What are you going to do with your life? Are you going to allow all of those things to consume your life? Are you going to allow all of those things to control your life? Or are you going to let me control it? And it is a decision and a choice we make. It's a decision and a choice. And let me tell you something. It's not just a salvation choice. It's a life choice. 
Now listen, if you're lost today without Jesus Christ and you've never admitted your guilt before a holy, righteous God, I mean, you know you're a sinner, but you've never really understood how holy and righteous He is. And you understand now, man, I'm just a sinner. I'm a big zero today. Compared to God, I'm nothing. He's so far beyond me. Man, you are where you need to be. I gave my testimony in what was called a huddle today, uh, that, on, on, on Friday. And I uh, gave my testimony. I asked all the boys, when did you get saved? And they all gave me their testimony. And I gave my testimony. And I told them how I got saved in 2005. You say, that's weird. I thought you started the church in 1994. I did. But I settled my salvation in 2005. And so I got through going telling them about how that got handled and what I felt and what I learned from that. And that young man, after that huddle was over, he walked up to me and followed me and he said, Hey, uh, can, I, can, I, can I talk to you a minute? I said, Sure. I already knew he needed saved. I could tell. And he said, Listen, um, he said, I, I got saved when I was nine. And then I... And then when I was 12, I kind of, he says, well, I, at nine I got saved because everybody else went forward. And then at 12 I got saved and I kind of thought I did, but I've always had these doubts. I said, really? And here's what he said to me. And so I don't know, maybe I need to get some assurance of salvation. And I didn't say a word. And then he went, no, I need to be saved. And I said, yeah. And here's what he said. He bowed his head. Tears started flowing down his face, and he said this. He said, I am the most wicked boy in this camp. He's a preacher's kid. Let me tell you something. I promise you he wasn't the most wicked kid in the camp. But in his heart he was. And may I say, you don't get saved till you see yourself being wicked. This idea, well, I'll just add Jesus. Hey, Jesus. It's time. I'm ready. Uh Uh-uh. He's got to draw you. Man, I mean, his heart was broken. He said, I'm the most wicked kid in this camp. God, I know I deserve to go to hell. And he's just weeping and crying. We're knelt down in the middle of a field. Man, I mean to tell you something. He lifted his head up, and there was a total change of countenance. You want to know why? Because for the first time in his life, he put Jesus on the throne. You say, well, you you don't have to. But I'm saying he moved into his heart and his life. And I believe at the same time he said, it's Jesus and me. He knew enough to know that he needs to be first. Now, some of you may have gotten saved and you've allowed your life to slip. You better put Jesus back where he belongs. You keep adding all this other junk, you're going to get lost in all of it. It'll destroy you. Let me close this out with this illustration. I'm just going to close it with this illustration. It's really a, a pretty neat illustration. But in The Wounded Healer, Henry Nowen, he retells a tale from ancient India. And again, it's a tale, okay? I don't think it's real. You'll see what I mean here in a minute. Four royal brothers decided each to master a special ability. He goes, as time went on and the brothers met, they decided to reveal what they had learned. The one said, I've mastered a science by which I can take but a bone of some creature and create the flesh that goes with it. 
Aye, said the second. Know how to grow that creature's skin and hair if there's flesh on its bones. The third said, I'm able to create its limbs if I have flesh, the skin, and the hair. And I, said the fourth, know how to give life to that creature if its form is complete. Thereupon the brothers went into the jungle to find a bone so they could demonstrate their specialties. As fate would have it, the bone they found was a lion's. One added flesh to the bone. The second grew hide and hair. The third completed it with matching limbs. And the fourth gave the lion life. Shaking its mane, the ferocious beast rose up and jumped on its creators. He killed them all. And then he vanished contently into the jungle. See, what's the moral of that story? You can go ahead and create your own little life. You can put all the pieces where you want them and where you think they belong. You can be as wise as you think you are in all these areas of life. Like a puzzle, place them in your life carefully. Can I tell you something? Unless you put Jesus Christ as the head of your life and on the throne of your life, those things will ultimately devour you. Those things will be the very things that will ruin and wreck you. You need Him to help you prioritize. You need Him to help you put things in their right and proper place in your life. And I'll tell you, if you're lost today, you don't need a better house or a nicer car or a, a, or a, a nicer husband or wife. What you need is Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He said, I'm the resurrection and life. He's the resurrection life. He says over in the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. I'm going to tell you something today. You don't need anything that this world has to offer. Who you need is Jesus Christ. And in just a moment, we're going to close in a word of prayer, and we're going to give you an opportunity to respond. And let me tell you something. If you don't know for sure heaven's your home, you've never settled your soul salvation, you can't say with 100% surety that you're going to heaven one day, my friend, get down that aisle, see somebody, and let them open up a Bible and show you just a couple of simple verses on what you need to do to receive and accept him into your life and to put him on the throne of your life. My friend, today you need Christ. And if you are a child of God today, and maybe at one point you invited him in your life, but you have totally and completely just included him in everything else. He has no more preeminence in your life than a hobby of your life, than a wife in your life, than your children have. If they actually dictate and determine where you're at, what you're doing, and how you're getting it done, then my friend, they become idols. My friend, it's time that you put Jesus Christ where he belongs in your life. Good things become bad things when we don't put the best things where they belong. And I want to encourage you today to make a choice to get off the fence on the right side. Don't ride the fence anymore. Don't say, well, I want to be a Christian, but I also enjoy the world. No, get on one side or the other. I told the singles today, do you realize that God never t- says that he, gets, that he pukes over somebody that's a drug addict, a drunkard, or involved in immoral 
acts continually and consistently? Do you know who he's puking over? The one that's neither hot nor cold. That's the one we see in Laodicea, chapter 3 of Revelation. That's the one that he's throwing up over. You read chapter 3. Who makes him sick? The one that's neither hot nor cold. And we have the audacity, and we are so self, we're so pious that we'll look at somebody that's just bound in sin and go, they're so wicked, they're such sinners, God can't stand that. You know what God can't stand? The guy or gal still on the fence. That wants both worlds. That won't make the decision between one or the other completely. That won't sell out 100%. Well, I want my money. Get rid of your money. Get God. Well, I want a wife at all costs. Forget about a wife. Get Jesus Christ. Well, it's all about my kids. Are you nuts? They're going to leave you. But he won't. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We're putting the cart before the horse today. I'm not trying to equate Jesus with a horse. But he ought to be out front and number one in our lives today, above all and anyone. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, that you'd be glorified today in our lives, that you'd help us, Lord, to be what we ought to be for you.